Uh, we, um, how do we start this? Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to be here. It's actually really cool, obviously, the way that we met, and here we are. I uh, know. Uh, it is a really cool way that we met. Um, how would you call that? Well, obviously, we know we've got mutual friends in Josiah, or you might have known Ben, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, both of them. Yeah, both of them, yeah. So, yeah, so obviously we had that uh, men's day uh, a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, we just sort of hit it off and had a bit of a chat about jiu-jitsu, I believe. And Do you know how they met? Um, ben and yeah, Joe. So Joe had huh? heard Ben on this podcast. Oh no way! And then he heard Ben talk. I think at an event that uh, like what's it called Cedar Member. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cedar Member. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that's how he made the connection. He's like, oh, you're the guy from. It's crazy world, isn't it? Oh man, <laughs> I was just sitting. I was just actually getting a coffee with uh, Josiah before, and just like you're just sitting there, like how we end up in these situations in our life, you know, like. It's crazy, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. cool. Um, so look, I, uh, obviously when I met you, I got really good vibes from you, man. Um, and, uh, it was a really good environment in the setting that we met. And I just, uh, look, went through your Instagram and I kind of really like a lot of the stuff that you're putting out. I think it's, uh, just like, um, you know, like just good kind of like health and fitness advice. And before we get into that, I just wanted to, um, yeah, just find out more about, about the man himself. So. <laughs> Uh, I heard a little bit about your journey in the past, but uh, for anyone who's new to uh, new to you, uh, yeah, how did you get to becoming a coach? Yeah, awesome. Well, first of all, uh, thank you for the good vibe comment. It's always nice to hear. Um, yeah, so for you know a good ten years, I was an electrician, and I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was doing, um, and I was stuck in that like perpetual cycle of a good income and um, you know like why would I give this up type thing and not necessarily enjoying what I did and there was always a common denominator in my life um, w which was always training you know I was either playing footy um, going through pre-season um, and I really enjoyed that part of it you know and then even without footy I was always in the gym or doing something uh, in regards to fitness so that sort of led me into the direction of you know I don't really want to be in a mine when I'm 50 <laughs> working underground and um, were you work, were you working out of the mines? Or yeah, I was in uh, I was in Roxby or well, Olympic Dam. Yeah. yeah, for about two two and a bit years before I that, and that's when I sort of got into my existential crisis and sort of got out of there. And um, yeah, I just was like, I don't really want to be a fifty year old underground and looking at other fellow workers up there and like it's it looked like a pretty bleak existence to be honest. <laughs> no offense to anyone that's still doing that. Yeah, of course. All right, let's go let's go down that route, right? Yep. So I feel like that's that those feelings are things that so many people could relate to, right? And no matter what field I guess you're working, like a lot of people find themselves in like a career or a job that maybe they didn't maybe it, it wasn't necessarily what like something they felt super passionate about or maybe their passion changed over time. And they build up that feeling of like, I want to do something different. But a lot of people don't do something different. So I guess, uh, how did you fall into like being an electrician to begin with? Yeah, um, good question. So I was 14, 13 years old, 14 years old. And I was sitting at dinner with my dad, my stepmom and my brother. And we went around the table and, and the question was, what do you want to do when you're older? Pretty common question you hear when you're a kid, right? And uh, I said, I want to be a tradesman. And my dad said, well, you should be an electrician because he was a fridgy. And he said, if you want to do a dual trade, you only have to do two years after your electrical <laughs> apprenticeship. 
then if you do it the other way, you have to do eight years total. So I was like, okay. So at 14 years old, I'd made up my mind about what I wanted to do as an adult, right? Which, if you look at it back now, you go, well, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you do it? Like, why would you put your whole life's ambition on, you know, being a 14-year-old kid? So that was kind of just ingrained in myself. Like, I knew from that point on that that was what I was working towards. And in high school, I did everything that sort of led me to being an electrician. And I never even enjoyed it, like first day as an apprentice like I was like why am I doing this but you just kind of just follow this path and you know get a good job do you know like find something that's gonna give you a stable income so you can provide and get a house and whatever it is right like um that's sort of the the path and the journey that I was kind of on you know and it didn't light me up at all um and for yeah a good eight to ten years like yeah I met some good people had some good jobs and some pretty good money at some times um but I didn't necessarily wake up out of bed going, yeah, let's let's do this. Like, it wasn't really my thing. And uh, I'm always really interested in knowing whether people find, like, the thing that they feel really compelled towards, whether it comes out of you find something that you're running towards or whether you're finding something that you're running away from. What did you find yourself in in that situation? Was it you just didn't like what you were doing so much that you were looking for other things or you just found the thing that you liked that made doing what you did every day hard to do? Yeah, good question. So a lot of my time as an electrician, I was always finding other things to try and focus on and create. So, um, you know, there's a few business attempts, failed businesses <laughs> along the way. Um, what, what were some of them? Uh, I started a company called, uh, yeah, I'll call it loosely a company, called uh, Coffee Sliders. Okay. Where I, um, I'd get businesses to advertise on the sleeves of coffee cups okay that's cool yeah so i randomly just i was like 20 21 i think when i tried to do that i got a website built no, no traffic going to it no idea what was going on um paid someone to do it all and like basically the cost per slide was like a dollar because i used a local company in adelaide and it was like ridiculously stupid right but cool idea did, had no business did, did you ever like, pursue it or uh, well, I had uh, I had one cafe on board. Okay, cool. Uh, and then um, I had one inquiry because I advertised on the cups and it was a charity and they wanted it for free. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what, though? That's kind of like a bit of a brilliant idea if anyone's listening to this. Yeah, yeah, go for it. If you can figure out the cost to make it cheap. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It didn't light me up, though, but it was yeah, cool. I like, yeah. just wanted to do you something were, you in business. Look, you were looking for something else. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of them. And then I did... Um, I made... Uh, Suits. So I was getting suits imported from Thailand, um, and there was uh, it was 2015, and uh, there was three stores in Thailand. I think it was must have been in Phuket, and uh, three stores burnt down. At one of the stores, oh, no. <laughs> one of the stores happened to be mine. And I was like, "Is this guy fleecing me?" Because I'd sent over like it was like five thousand dollars or something for some suits to get sent to us. Um, for obviously my customers and uh, yeah burnt down he sent me photos and he's like oh, can you help me out I need some more money I'm like bro oh I'm like, wow <laughs> I'm like 5,000 in the whole way <laughs> if there's ever a way of like the universe telling you this is not it <laughs> it's not it yeah no. so yeah and that was that was the end of uh, Phil Martin Suits okay so you've always had that entrepreneurial spirit to yourself yep yep did you have that even younger like at school and stuff yeah there was always something there like my plan was to be an electrician and then have my own electrical business. But I never obviously went down that route because I didn't enjoy what I was doing. 
with it. So there was always like, yeah, I wanted to have my own thing. What that looked like, I didn't know at the time. And yeah, as I said, electrical stuff was just like, I don't want to live and breathe this. It's not what I do. Yeah, no, of course. So you are working away Mm -hmm. in the mines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you come to that point. So how did you find, like, how did fitness become a big part of this? Yeah. So I was always training, uh, always wanting to be leaner, know, like, what foods to eat, you know, the common questions people Google, like, how to be healthy and, like, how to get a six-pack, that type stuff. Um, And I'd trained for so long and was never... um, at the point where, you know, I had a six-pack. I always had that bit of body fat. And I was like, well, how does this actually work? So I was like, I could just get a PT or I could just learn for myself because I'm intrigued. So, yeah, I started studying personal training and, and um, all that kind of jazz and, and got into it that way while I was away because obviously you had weeks off so you could just study. So I had that ability. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, yeah, it sort of just led me down that path of, like, going a little bit deeper and, uh, I hired a coach myself whilst I was studying as well, just obviously to fast track my learnings and I hired a holistic health coach. Um, and that just opened my eyes to like what's actually going on with people's health more so than just counting calories and, <laughs> you know, like training in a gym, right? Yeah. If you've got some kind of um, dysfunction or chronic illness, like doing four sets of 10 in a gym, that's not going to do much. You know, there's a lot more to it, Yeah. Uh, so to people who don't know what a holistic coach is, what well, what was the holistic coach that you hired? Like, what did that involve? Yeah, so a lot of it comes down to basically just looking, being a generalist of the human body, right? Just looking at every facet of, of you know, their lifestyle, the environment they're in, you know, um, they're even going t- down to their relationship with food um, and really understanding, you know, all those aspects, but then also looking internally like how's their digestion going looking at the blood work um symptoms that come up and that kind of thing and really uncovering you know what could really be going on in these underlying causes uh, within the body and you know there's like a, a handful of dysfunctions that we look for you know i call them tier one dysfunctions that um you know in the absence of these is, is really where tree health lies and those alone really stem to all the other stuff that's going on within the body yep <coughs> and what were some of the like, I guess, things that you uncovered for your own health that yeah. were really, like, uh, mind-boggling? Yeah, another great question. So, um, I don't know if you've heard of candida before. Yeah, I yeah so yeast overgrowth, very common. Um, I've had a lot of antibiotic use in my early 20s, and obviously a lot of people know that it wipes out bad bacteria but also good bacteria, but a lot of people don't realise that, you know, it doesn't wipe out everything. And then there's an opportunistic uh, bacteria or fungal, uh, rather, uh, yeast so that sort of hangs around and then it can start to sort of expand and grow because there's nothing there opposing it so a lot of people well everyone has yeast in their body um, but then when it gets the chance to obviously flourish it will so a lot of antibiotics will allow that to happen um, and then yeah you know it comes out in the body in all different ways you know like some people get itchy ears you know, itchy skin uh, dermatitis athlete's foot jock itch uh, there could be a coating on their tongue Okay, yeah. Um, and then, like, there could be uh, neurological impacts as well, you know, like fatigue, brain fog, that kind of stuff too. So, yeah. So that was something that you kind of uncovered that you had? Yeah. Well, yeah, I had no idea, right? Like, and then you get the holistic health coach and he's like, yeah, you got symptoms of this. You're like, oh, what's that? <laughs> you know, and then you start to go down the, the path of you know, how do we fix this, doing the functional health approach and, you know, using supplementation, some anti 
antimicrobials, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so from there you started to become you've started studying to become PT. Mm -hmm. When do you make or how do you make that transition from you know like if you've been in a trade for a while and you're mm -hmm. out in the mines, you're probably like making good coin. How do you make that transition to decide I'm going to throw myself into an industry that can be quite volatile, uh, especially when you're brand new to it? Yeah, definitely. Um, pretty cool story. So in the mines. Uh, I basically had a bit of a breakdown, uh, you know, up at midnight, anxiety, panic attacks, crying, called my old man, said, look, I can't, I can't do this anymore, like, I need to come home. Uh, came home, essentially, like, four days later, I was on a flight to Brisbane, went to Conscious Man Brotherhood, it's just a men's retreat for the weekend, it's like 50 blokes up there and about six to eight coaches from memory, um, that facilitated the event and that essentially just, like, was... A helpful catalyst in my journey of all right well I've left the mines I don't want to go back I've done this and now I can use this momentum to start my company um, and that's basically like the second day um, like my last night there waiting for my flight the next day I basically set my company up on my phone and <laughs> that was it that's cool what happened in that like retreat that was a big breakthrough for you yeah, so we did a lot of unpacking of trauma and the way that we carry, you know, all of it. Especially as men, we get um, not so much taught. We don't get taught at all. That's the problem where we just sort of just take on everything and we don't ask for help and we don't um, don't know how to get it out. So a lot of the stuff we did, you know, we shared stories about who we truly were. Um, and when I did that, you know, I had this huge somatic release out of my spine, out of my, um, it came at the top of my head and it was like this tingling sensation, warm sensation. And I sat down after sharing and then I just started crying. And it was just like something that I'd never shared before to anyone. I've just spoken to around 50 people. And that release that I got, you know, it's just like, that's just symbolic of a lot of people that just hold on to stuff that they don't think is causing an issue. But, you know, over years of that kind of trauma or that, gets, that isn't getting unpacked, you know, is really impactful to who you are and, and what happens and um, a lot of that release. I left that place with this sense of, like, confidence in, you know, where I wanted to go and um, I guess from there it just helped me. Like, I just felt so light, you know, just like, you know, I was walking on a cloud after day one and then day two I was even lighter again, you know. We did some holotropic breath work, um, you know, spent the hour, like, breathing in a certain pattern and you're like, I'm crying, I'm yelling, I'm laughing, I'm screaming, like, in a room full of another 50 people doing the same thing. And it's a really powerful moment. Um, and the word to describe at the end of it was just, like, pure jubilee. I remember I couldn't really get out of the state and one of the coaches came up and just basically pulled me out and... I just hugged him. I was like, thank you. Like, this is <laughs> incredible. Like, the power of the breath is... Uh, basically, you're getting high off your own supply. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I don't know the science behind it all. Um, I haven't really looked that far into it, but it was a really cool experience. And it allowed me to obviously free a lot of the shit that I was carrying and to meet other men who we could hold space for each other going forward and I still talk to a few of those guys to this day you know in different states and we're all doing our own different thing but you know it's it's really cool that we experience that together and you just become mates for a lifetime 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much to, I mean, vulnerability is like a superpower, right? Um, okay, so there's some things there that I think, because I want I want I want somebody to be able to listen to this and go through that journey and maybe recognize the different parts of them. So, uh, so y when you seeked out this retreat, right, was this the sort of stuff that you had already been interested in the past? Well, no. how, did, how did you come? come how did you come across it? <laughs> so I uh, reached out to my friend of mine, Mikkel, who was in Bali, lived in Bali, and I asked him about ayahuasca, and I was like, "Look, I've got heaps of anxiety. I'm looking into ayahuasca. I want to do some plant-based medicine, maybe." Um, just to try and, like, get rid of this. Like, I don't know how to deal with it, right? Um, and he's like, oh, look, I don't know much about it, but my mate, Glenn, um, he's, works he's got something going on in this sort of space. He helps men with anxiety. So I was like, oh, okay. So I reached out to him. I had a 30-minute chat with him. And, yeah, like, everything just lined up, you know, cheap flights, <laughs> accommodation, like, oh, straight nice. up. Like, yeah. literally two days later, I was up. So I quit my job in the mines, and, like, four or five days later, I was on a flight to Brisbane after that communication with two people so it came about i guess from your uh, curiosity with wanting to figure out how do i deal with my anxiety uh what made you want to i guess look into things like ayahuasca i just heard about it i didn't know much about it i think i was just um at that point where i just trying to think you know i've been psychologists um and i tried all the meditation and breathing stuff and practices but i just knew that there was something a lot more deep-seated and i i didn't I don't think I'll ask is the answer by any means, but it was just at that point I was like, well, who can I get help from? You yeah, know? but I, I guess a big part here is you tried like a few different things and you were I guess open to to try something different. Okay, and uh, I guess how did you receive being in that sort of um, uh, maybe that sort of like environment and that sort of like men's sort of retreat? Because uh, it it is like this really powerful thing that is available to people, but I think uh, a lot of the time. Uh, you know, just regular blokey blokes can maybe look at those things and be like, oh, that's probably not for me. You yeah. know, it's, prob it's probably the standard thing that, you know, a lot of guys just think, right? And it's like, it's exact that's exactly probably who it's for. Like more so than the person who's maybe super in touch with themselves. Like, it's exactly for... So, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I agree. It's... Uh, they do a really good job when I was there. Like, I went alone. Obviously, I knew Glenn through the conversation I had. He was from Adelaide. Um, and it was up in Brisbane, so very confronting. You know, you go to an event like that and um, I was very much like, I know my friends and my close-knit community and I wasn't really one to go and do something like that. Um, and it was really, really interesting to see the different walks of life men came from to get to that journey, you know. Um, some people, yeah, real blokey blokes, uh, not understanding a lot. Um, I mean, who does understand much <laughs> about everything? But um, And then there were some that, you know, were just there because they didn't know what it was to be a man. You know, they came along. And I remember one of the guys' last name was literally man, and that's what he struggled with his whole life was, what does it mean? You know, how do I be more of a man? And that kind of environment uh, helps shape the foundation of where we can go and what we can do, and it's, it's a very important part of the process. And from that moment, I mean... There was a lot of solidarity that followed for me. And I think that's where the healing journey sort of goes, um, is just seeking it on your own. And then you get comfortable to you know, open up and, and be vulnerable in front of others and, and share your journey to allow other men to start their, pr or even women, to start their part of their process to go from there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, unreal. Uh, 
Have you always been, is this something that you were always like kind of interested in or is this something, a lot of these things have been things that have come across your way as you delve deeper down your journey? Yeah, they just popped up. Like it just, it just happened. I didn't think that these men's things existed. It just sort of rolled into my existence through conversation, you know, and then experience it and you go, shit, everyone needs to experience this. Like it's not one of those things where like you can just talk about, you need to actually go and dive in and do the work but the hard part is as you like we said before we started like people don't want to do the work yeah 100 percent. so you come back and you are now decided you're going to pursue fitness yep uh how does uh, how long do you pursue that and when do you uh, i guess go into more of the holistic coaching yeah so pursued it straight away like no work literally like i'm all in <laughs> this is what i want to do um and probably about a year, year in or so, I was like, okay, well, let's make it start making a shift. There's a lot of limiting beliefs behind, you know, the holistic side and, you know, what are people going to think when you start talking about supplements and, you know, you get that, like, that fear of being judged. Um, and the common one is, like, oh, supplements don't work and that kind of thing. It's like, well, all right, you give someone vitamin D, you know, vitamin D levels are going to skyrocket. <laughs> so they have some merit. Um but there was just a lot of fear-based stuff around, you know, that that fear of judgment, like I said, and, and being scared that, um, you know, what are people going to say about me and will I lose credibility and that kind of thing about what I'm trying to share? Um, because it, some of it is completely anecdotal. Um, but without anecdotal science, there is no science, right? You need, you need both. And how, how did you work through, like, a lot of uh, those, I guess, limiting beliefs or just those fears that you had? about how you would be perceived. Because I think that's a really uh, it's a really common struggle in life mm. that I think we all go through. Yeah. Uh, so all I did was just remember the first time I started talking about personal training and fitness on my stories. You know, like, you sit there and go, well, like, what do I actually know about this? I've just, like, finished my course. I'm completely new. Like, obviously, I've had my years of training. <laughs> probably didn't train right for six of them and then like you start training better when you sort of study it and understand it um and you just got to remember like the first video i ever did um talking on my instagram stories about my new career and like trying to how i wanted to help people where i came from like i was sweating i was like standing under the air con like (laughs) (laughs) sweating bullets like trying to get uh, my message across and it's just like well those are the moments that whenever something comes up for you like those limiting beliefs they're never going to go away, but it's about how long you hold on to them for. Like you're always going to, you, you, I don't know anyone that has a brain that goes like, yeah, let's 100 mile an hour, don't even think about like anything. I wish like I could be like that, but there's always going to be some thought that pops in that's going to try and keep you safe. And you need to remember that safety is like, that's not where you're going to grow. So you need to push through that. Um, and that's just what I keep reminding myself. You know, like I've done it before. Um, I'm newer in the space of holistic coaching than I am personal training now, but you've got to start somewhere and you've got to grow from there. Yeah, of course, 100%. Uh, now, you do something else pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that. So uh, it's called Chill Seekers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, how did, how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, me and my mate Luke McLean, um, I've spoken to him a few times because uh, he does a lot of um, mental health stuff, mental health coaching. Um, and I'd spoken to him, obviously, from my anxiety side of things and I knew he was a coach from Adelaide 
and we just uh, we met through a mutual friend, essentially, um, just online. And then he invited me around one day for an ice bath in his uh, freezer uh, chest. So I went around there um, on a Friday and uh, it was just like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like, we could do this every Friday. And then he just suggested, why don't we do this down the beach and get other people involved? And I was like, all right, sweet. And at first we were just going to do it for men. Um, but then we had some interest from women as well and we're like, just open it all up. Let's see how we go with it. And um, Yeah, so we just go down on a Friday morning, do a bit of breath work, meditation, jump in the ice bath and uh, then go for a sea, uh, swim in the sea f- to warm up. So, yeah. That's cool. And uh, did that just really organically just grow like pretty big? Yeah, we started what in September and I think there was like seven people at the first event and um, for the last month or so we've had like 50 plus just rock up to the beach and yeah, join in and it's getting a little bit out of control. So <laughs> uh, as of this week, we've had to uh, cap the numbers down to 30 just to keep it a little bit more intimate because it was just we didn't want it to grow to the point where it's just like people rock up and do their thing. We just want to try and keep it close-knit and um, the vision that we've got for it was... Uh, know to create a safe space to be able to openly share and i feel like if you have a lot of people it's harder to be vulnerable and it's harder to you know speak up for those that may actually be struggling so having it as a smaller group of 30 um i think is a better move in terms of what we want to achieve from the event that's cool look i'm i really want to talk about the event but i think i'm going to go back to maybe some like a theme that i see here Mm -hmm. like there's like a lot of kindness that comes out of you, Phil, <laughs> which is which is really nice. And uh, has that always, has that always been there? Is that something that you've worked on? Like another great question. Um, I think most humans, deep down, are kind people. It's what has happened to them that make them who they are. Um, I've said this before. You know, I was bullied from a young age. And I bullied because I just didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know how to deal with it. My self-esteem was shot because I was bullied. Then I'd pick on a weak kid. You know, it's just that typical, like, um, bullies are cowards, right? But, like, the person that bullied me, like, what was happening to him? You know, so it always stems back. And from there, like, I, I was such a harsh critic on myself. I didn't want to be the person I was. Um, I didn't like who I was. And early 20s, you know, you get into an environment where you just, I was playing footy, you know, you're drinking, you're taking drugs, you're doing all the stupid shit that a young 20-year-old's doing. You're not in a great environment for, um, you know, becoming the person you want to be. You get lost in that. And I didn't want to be that person, but I didn't know anything other than, like, playing footy like that was part of my identity and that probably shaped who I was and I was very conflicted about doing that like every weekend and I didn't want to Um, and I was always pulling away and going back pulling away going back and I think that part of me definitely um, I probably wasn't doing some very kind things you know back then Um, doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad person but I just didn't know how to deal with a lot of things through all the stuff that came up through my whole upbringing right um and I mean I try to be the best person I possibly can at all times sometimes I'm a bit of a dick um happens to all of us yeah you know and and you know we get frustrated we get short with people um but yeah I mean I 
I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> no, no, look, I think, I think these are, um, I think those, these are the moments that make humans human, right? Like it's, and it's those, like I'm just a curious person, which is why I want to have a podcast. Like I like to delve deeper in that. Like what, wh I guess, let's say you find yourself in an environment where, um, you know, like I've heard you shit like this in the past, but like you probably have a story that like so many uh, men out, all women can relate to, right? Like you hang around a crowd, right? Maybe it's just who you grew up with. And, you know, like, you just get into doing certain habits and maybe aren't in the best of your interests. And maybe there is a part of you that knows, like, maybe this isn't, like, for me. But quite often when people don't have somewhere better to be, they just end up where they are. So I'm really curious, like, what, did you find something better to, like, something better, somewhere to better to be? Like, it doesn't have to mean, like, a physical place or, like, Sometimes with people, that can just be ideology, right? Like, you mm -hmm. come across ideas, and those ideas, like, that is the better place to be, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe even if that's just at home doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that's that solidarity part of my journey, right? So um, there's a group of mates from school. There's, like, 25 of us blokes, you know, get hang out and do all sorts of stuff, like, from early 20s or 18 to, you know, early 20s, right? Um, and I'm still friends with them, but I just pull back. You know, like working in the mines made it a bit easier. Working away, um, come home exhausted anyway. And I just didn't hang out with them as much because it was like going to the pub, having a punt. It's just like, well, it's not really where I want to go. Like it's not what the environment I want to be in because I'll start drinking, I'll start like punting and wasting my money. Like, well, yeah. there's no benefit. There's not serving me, right? So um, there was part of that journey again where, yeah, like I was away from them. But it's kind of gone full circle now. It's not like you need to cut ties with all your mates. I still hang out with them. I was at a Bucks party the other weekend, still not drinking. Um, it's been, what, like just over a year now. Um, and I was able to be there. And they respected my decision that I don't want to drink anymore and I don't drink. Um, so it was okay. Like, and that, that's who I am now. And, and um, you know, I was there probably for about five or so hours. And I was like, ah, it's... No, we're going to call that. Um, and they just went on and did their thing. And I'm just like, I can still be friends with them because obviously they're my mates. They've been my mates for a long time. But I don't need to participate and I'm strong enough to be able to say no. And I always have been to some regard. If I didn't want to do something, I would never do it. But that peer pressure and always hanging out with them, that like the straw that breaks the camel's back at some point, you know, you're going to get back into it. So I'm like, it's not going to happen for me. I think what you're mentioning there about uh, it coming full circle is such a big uh, part of life. And I think there is a quote that I cannot remember, but, you know, I think in life you're meant to, you, you are a part of the world, you try and leave your world to just find that you need to learn how to be a part of it again, right? And I think it's such a common thing that so many of us go through, right? Like, maybe you are, like, in a situation where you don't want to drink anymore, so you decide to cut ties with anything related mm -hmm. to drinking, right? Mm -hmm. But then you are only not drinking just because you're not in front of it. Like, mm -hmm. maybe you haven't actually dealt with, like, your own self, right? Like, there's another quote that no matter where you go in the world, you're always there. Like, you can try and run away from the problem, but unless you deal with it, like, the problem's actually hasn't been dealt with. And I think that's such a, a brave thing that so many people uh, need to explore, like, when they're ready to, obviously like realize like you can't always run away from these things like you need to learn like how does that how does that fit how do i fit in that into my life because 
some of these things that we want to exclude unless you want to be a monk. Like, you're not going to be able to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so the way I did that, so last year I raised money for Beyond Blue to not drink for 12 months. So I had that buffer to allow me to, obviously easier to stay at home, but I had weddings last year, I had buck shows to go to. And having that there was an easy way to tell my mates, like, I can't drink today because I'm raising money for charity. You know, who's going to be like, oh, have a drink, you dickhead? <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? So that created the, the boundary for me and it made it a lot easier. And it, it made it easier for myself to not give in to peer pressure because I was doing it for a big cause. And now, like, will I drink again? don't know. I might. I might have a beer here and there. But it hasn't happened yet. And to me, uh, it's it's now always going to be on my terms rather than the collective. And I think that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, 100%. We're going to come back to this conversation. We're just going to take a quick break and we're going to keep talking to Phil. So, I guess I have lots. I have more questions now than I did at the start, and um, I feel I'm going to be honest. I feel really overwhelmed. So, if, uh, <laughs> if I seem scattered, it's just because my brain is thinking a lot. Uh, all right. So, go, going back to the. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Going back to the um, topic of like you becoming like a holistic coach. Uh, I'm really interested in, in seeing how you would, uh, maybe some of the realizations that you've had um, in that role, right? So I've been a coach for a long time and there's some, I've changed my mind a lot about how I, what I view people should and shouldn't do in training, right? Like for a long time, uh, I really encourage people to exercise really aggressively and hard. Uh, to maybe only realize that I'm not sure people need, like, I'm, I don't need that anymore. Uh, and I, you know, it's funny, like, you do something for so long and you realize how much you've lacked and missed other aspects of yourself, right? And this doesn't always apply just to training, right? Like, um, you know, we met in a setting where we were talking about masculinity and femininity and, you know, when you're doing something that's really masculine for a long time, you all of a sudden realize, oh, I'm craving, like, you know, it's like the yin to the yang. Mm -hmm. So, as someone who views things through this maybe, like, bigger scope, right, where it's not just training and counting calories, like, what are some of the really basic things that you see people uh, just, you know, maybe don't do right, like, oh, in, approach yeah. in approaching the entire thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, you got to have the foundations set, otherwise nothing's going to work. You know, so, clearly calories mean something, like, especially in terms of, like weight control, like you're going to need to obviously have um, that understood. But there's simple things like people's sleep, super important. Um, obviously getting in the right nutrients, macro and micro. Um, hydration, very big missed topic um, that needs to be addressed. And then with those, then you've got your lifestyle and your environment as well. They're, they're the foundations, right? And understanding those and getting them right then you can start to branch out. Not to say that you can't do the other stuff whilst getting the foundations right. Of course you can. But if you don't have them in place, then throwing supplements, you know, I always say you, can, you can't put supplements in shit and expect flowers to grow. Like you need to have the seed there, you need to have the foundation ready and then you can add the extra stuff, you know, the, the 
flour, food, whatever they put on it, I don't know. But <laughs> then it'll grow. Yeah, awesome. yeah, of course. Where do you, I guess, what's the first thing that you try and tackle with people or you would encourage people to try and get sorted? Yeah, so it's evolved, as you can imagine. Um, and it used to be a relationship with food. Um, and that, that is still the number one thing that people need to get uh, in control of or, or, or training as well, relationship with training as well. So they're the two things that people need to look at first. I don't generally work a lot um, with them now because of the approach that I'm at. They're a bit further along in their journey, but that's where it starts, right? So if you don't have a proper relationship with training of food, then you just can't follow a diet, especially a more uh, restrictive diet than others might have to do because they've got some kind of dysfunction or overgrowth, parasitic, bacterial, whatever it may be, um, that needs to be done, you know. So that's the first point of call. Um, and if you haven't got that sort of sorted yet, then it's going to be a lot harder to do the other part, yeah. Um, yeah, look, relationship with food, there's so much to mm -hmm. that, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I... I first noticed it myself with, I mean, I first remember when I first tried to lose weight mm -hmm. in my journey, like that was a huge thing. But then I noticed it a lot with uh, clients and uh, I noticed it a lot with, uh, you know, people who maybe who ate too much and there'd be like this, I, I remember noticing there was like a, you know, like a, an, a habit where people would not, not want to eat because they thought of it as like wasteful, right? Mm -hmm. Like they had to eat everything in their mm -hmm. plate, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I remember the first time I de delved or dug a little bit deeper into that and realized, why well, I do that because, like, I would, got, would get told off, you know, growing up, like, mm -hmm. if I didn't eat on my plate. Mm -hmm. And then there's, and they're like, you know, because, and there's a relationship be between food and, and money and, and, like, appreciation and, and your value as a person. And it's, like, this tiny little thing that actually has so much else that needs to be uncovered and dealt with. Big time. How many times I heard, you know, you finish food and you play the starving kids in Africa. And that's what you hear, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you finish, you play, you don't get dessert. And you see, it's conditioning us to overeat and then get dessert. It's like, well, if we just ate what we kind of felt like eating and then had dessert, you know, you're having less calories. But you haven't created that whole thing um, around having to finish. And especially when you go out for, like, a restaurant meal. You know, you, when you get your money's worth, like you said, so you're going to finish it. So, like, I'm paying 50 bucks for a steak. Like, well, it's pretty yeah. easy to finish the steak, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean, though? 100%, like, yeah. 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 So, there's that side of it, too, yeah. And then, I, I remember growing up playing sport, and, you know, you got a participation voucher to go to McDonald's. It's like, well, you, you know, you're creating that link between exercise and then going to McDonald's and treating yourself. You know, not to say that you can't have McDonald's every now and then. Of course, you can. When it comes to overall calories, is it going to be great for your health? Probably not. But you're allowed to treat yourself. But it's the way that we do it and the way that it's been, you know, set up and it's very strategic. I think like there's no ifs or buts about it. They they target children because they're the easiest people to program to get them to be customers for life. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So you try and get people to realise that they need to sort their relationship with food. What would what would the next step be? Yeah. So once that's done. I mean, you can do it all at once. It's just a lot. You know, if someone's got a binge eating disorder or whatever it may be, um, it, it makes it a lot more difficult and you have to be a little bit less on the uh, functional side of things and more just focus on, you know, getting them to be able to understand that food isn't the enemy. Um, but once you've gone and that's sort of like, it, they're all good on that front, 
you can dive a little bit deeper, look at the blood work, you can look at their symptoms that may be present in their body because the symptoms are telling you a story. You know, They're there for a reason. They're signals to tell you that you need to dig a little bit deeper. If you're bloating all the time, well, well it tells you there's something wrong with your digestion, right? So um, are you bloating all the time? Are you bloating after eating? Are you bloating after specific meals? Um, very, very much needed to know, right? Whereabouts and... You, your stomach, your bloating is higher up, is it lower down? These are the things that you can start to question. You know, have you got a white coating in your tongue? Do you get jock itch? Do you get dermatitis? You know, you got acne. You know, all these things. This is your body telling you that there's something amiss. There's nutrients that you aren't getting. There could be something wrong with your gut. You know, so you sort of dive down that path. Um, and then the blood work is like I said to you before. You know, um, blood work never lies. Like there's something there. Um, when you assess bloods against optimal ranges, that's when you can get someone to true health. When you use the conventional ranges that you see in the GP, um, you know they're just a broad spectrum of you know, the general population. And when one in two people have a chronic health condition in Australia in 2017, 2019, 67% were overweight or obese. You know, and like that's pre-pandemic. So like, I mean, I'm specu speculating, but that's probably going to be a lot higher now. You know. And we know that, that those bloods are going to be used to determine, you know, the, the ranges that we're in. Predominantly, old people and sick people are getting more blood tests than healthy people. So the lab uses those, the, the average of those people um, as their benchmark. Now, they do take out the contraindications, big word, <laughs> um, for that essential marker. So say, like, someone's got hypertension, they'll take out cholesterol. Right. but they'll still use the other markers of that sick, unhealthy person in their other lab work. So super important to make sure that the bloods are being assessed against optimal ranges and by a health practitioner like a functional doctor or something like that or um, a holistic health coach, for instance, that uses those um, to help get that person back to, to obviously true health. Yeah, unreal. That's cool, man. Um, and I think that's like a, such a... It's such an overlooked thing that I think mm. the average person just uh, you know, either doesn't think about or doesn't maybe even realise applies to them to one day they realise, oh, yeah, like it's not normal to be bloated all the time. Mm. Uh, as simple as that. Definitely. And, and that's the thing, right? It's, it's a slow thing. Like you don't get diabetes overnight unless you're born with type 1, right? Like it, it happens gradually. You know, like 10 years of like overeating and having high insulin levels and... Know, blood sugar management is out of like out of control. Like you know, you're constantly eating too many calories for your body, and and there's going to be a breaking point. But it's a slow, gradual thing over a habitual, um, or over an habitual process of you living your life. Right? It doesn't happen like as I said overnight. It's it's uh, that's the hard part to try and explain to people that you know what you do today matters in ten years time. Yeah. And I don't think people understand often, obviously not with all diseases, but things like that, like type 2 diabetes, how much you have control over. Like, you, mm -hmm. you, it's something that you can start battling against mm -hmm. uh, if, you're, if you're willing to, uh, to change some of your habits. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, like all metabolic um, syndrome, stuff like that, um, insulin resistance, whatever it may be, like, they, it's very preventable. And... Uh, um, People that are overweight and obese, like, it, well, obesity was classed as a disease in 2013, so it's only 
pretty relatively new, like less than a decade, where it's been classed as a disease, right? So it's um, it's an important thing to talk about, that, but it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about because it's very personal for people that, and they don't, like, it's uncomfortable for them to hear, right? And it's almost uncomfortable to speak about because of the societal pressures around it and, you know, being body positive and inclusive and, and that's great and obviously it doesn't make you less of a person if you're overweight or obese, but it definitely impacts your health and t- statistically, you know, if you're, both your parents are overweight or obese, being a kid, you're more likely going to be overweight or obese. Same with if your friend is you're going to be more likely to be overweight or obese and like your brother and the people in your environment because it creates that, um, you know, that sense of, you know, what's acceptable within your framework of friends and stuff of, of what you should allow for yourself. Um, and, it, and it flips around as well. Like if, um, you know, your group's relatively fit and healthy, then you're more likely to be fit and healthy because you want to fit in with your your peers right yeah it becomes the the minimum standard correct and then then the issue with this is though most people are getting bigger not smaller so it's only going one way so we really need to be um getting on the forefront of this and having those tough conversations that you know like what you may be doing now for yourself i understand that it's for you but if you have children you're passing that on to them and they get those habits and that kind of thing as well uh, I guess the other thing that I mean, I'm always interested in just seeing how other coaches uh, think about uh, movement. Mm-hmm. How do you, yeah, I guess how do you view the inclusion of movement into people, into helping people in this grand scheme of things? Like, yeah, so it, we we go down different paths. There's so many different paths for coaches, right? Um, and obviously, I've loved training my whole life, but for some reason, I've been gravitating towards all the holistic stuff. And um, in terms of the movement, like the simplest thing that anyone could do is just go for a walk every day. Like, and that's, it, it, it's so low stress on the body. It allows you to, it helps your lymphatic drainage, like obviously like cardiovascular fitness, etc. right? So moving is such an easy thing for everyone, sorry, walking is such an easy thing for everyone to do. Um, and it's free, you know? Um, and then obviously, Strength training is the most bang for buck form of exercise you can do. You're hitting everything, right? And muscle wastage diseases are rampant in old age. So the more muscle you have that <laughs> you can build when you're younger, better off you're going to be when you get older, right? So um, if you can do, you know, at least two to three training sessions of strength training every week, it doesn't have to be balls to the wall CrossFit stuff like we spoke about before. Um, but at least something, you know, that's going to help build that muscle and give you some kind of strength and foundation where you're less likely to get injured, um, less likely to have a full older age. But the problem, again, lies with, you know, you're solving a, a problem for future, not for now. You know, like, in the short term, it's like, I want to look good, I want to, f- like, feel better, etc. which is fine. But you really need to be setting yourself up for... It's like a retirement plan for when you get older, right? Yeah, 100%. Uh who are coaches or I guess people in the health sphere in the health sphere that um that inspire you that you really like their message? Yep. Uh so coach Jake Dollishell, he's uh he's been my mentor for many years. He's the guy that coached me when I was studying as well. Um but yeah, he's continued to be my mentor and uh I look up to him a lot. He's taught me a hell of a lot. Uh coach Jake Carter is another one. Um co- uh, coach Corey Bulldock. 
also another guy early on uh, when I started out. He helped me a lot with programming and training, the strength training side of things. Uh, very, very good. And then there's a bunch of them with inside the Jake Carter Institute that you know are all on this functional medicine and functional health approach um, that I look up to as well. So if you may, uh, Charlie, I can't remember his last name now, sorry, Muscle for Minds is Instagram. Um, those kind of guys, like super smart people to be around and you know, we sort of uplift each other and help each other and support each other. Nice. Now, this, I guess the next question I have is just uh, more out of my own personal curiosity. Maybe it doesn't have to be something that falls into the framework of your coaching, but I think it's something that I, th I think, especially as I become older, I see it as this uh, humongous compartment in the entire sphere of, of being a human, right? Uh, how, does th how do things like spirituality fit into this uh, entire framework for for you, right? And I'm asking this question, right, because I feel like uh, maybe I'm stereotyping here, but I do feel like that would be something that is a part <laughs> of your life, right? Yes. Uh, so 2016, I was over in Canada, and that's where I sort of started meditating, and um, I read the book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. See, this is what I wanted to start with. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it all started, right? And, and, you know, it was, but it was kind of like an egotistical starting point of like oh yeah i meditate now you know and like i'm spiritual kind of guy and um what drew you, okay let's go even further back yeah. what drew you to the power of now what drew you to our i honestly i don't know how it all stemmed i think again it, it, it went back to the anxiety i was feeling so this was like you know three years before i had the full breakdown and went to cmb right so i was just in um Canada went over with four of the mates and we were doing a ski season in Whistler and I just I just still had this anxiety with me that I needed to try and deal with so meditation helped helped like calm me down and I wasn't doing it right like I was trying to I was meditating and I'd fall asleep for like two hours but like yeah I meditated for two hours no you didn't mate. <laughs> but you're learning right and then yeah of course yeah and then it led me to I was just reading some stuff and I don't I think I just went to the library and the book was just there and I was like yeah that looks pretty good and like blew my mind about it and but then I came home from traveling and you, know, you sort of get back in the rat race you start laboring again get back to electrical work end up in the mines and you kind of just pull away from it slowly but then it somehow comes back in and look I'm not like I'm not a super spiritual guy but there is merit to you know, getting out in nature, grounding, breathing and doing the things that, you know, were done for thousands of years, right, with communities and tribes and, you know, getting together and having share circles and talking and, you know, even just cranking some tunes and dancing around and just being silly, right, just getting it out. And there is, um, there's definitely merit behind it um, and I do it for myself but I don't know a hell of a lot about it and I don't dive into it heaps but i do enjoy it yeah yeah look i mean i think there's i think all it often is is just the acknowledgement that there's something mm. like outside of us right like Correct. uh you know i think a lot of people uh you know maybe experience that feeling of uh you know anxiety depression helplessness mm. loneliness from you know just feeling out of control like with their own life and i think sometimes just the acknowledgement that there's something more whatever you want to call that, whatever it is, right? Like, 
and sometimes I can just be like, just that's what I mean by like the acknowledgement of this extra compartment, because mm. everyone's going to want to experience that or or delve into it in different ways, right? But it's just sometimes realizing like, oh, there's there's something else, and maybe you spend all your life trying to put your finger on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that that is important because quite often, what I've seen is, uh, you know, like for years, right? Like I, uh, yeah, worked and managed the, a CrossFit gym and I saw people who would try and find like a religion within like a fitness practice where mm-hmm. uh, maybe it did offer a lot of these things, but that was never the intention. Mm-hmm. And then like I've seen people who go down and, you know, burn themselves to the ground because they want this thing that had never intended, you know, yeah, there's maybe lots of compartments to your life, right? Like your movement, like uh, your health, right? Like you could put nutrition into that, your spirituality, like your purpose, like relationships. And you're trying to get a lot from a compartment that is never going to give you that. Definitely. And you, you raise a good point around um, having something higher than yourself or greater than yourself, um, whether that's within a community like a CrossFit cult, <laughs> you might say, um, or even just that higher self or you know, like it could be God, it could be whatever you want to call it, right? There's no absolute name for it. To be able to relinquish yourself to something, I think, helps uh, in guidance for a lot of a lot of people. And look, we talk, talked about it before. Blokey blokes might not think that like going to a men's workshops for them, um, but it'll honestly change your life. Like the way that um, if you go to one that's run well, you'll just you'll be shocked at you know, what is actually going on within, like, the spiritual side of things. And again, I'm not well-versed on a lot of it. I just go with the flow and I just love, you know, going to that thing on the weekend, last, a couple of weekends ago with Josiah and Ben, you know, the primal man. Like, going to stuff like that and meeting other men that are on a journey that is greater than themselves is really inspiring and it's really cool. Yeah, 100%. And it just, uh, you know, it, it allows you to know, like, uh, I think as humans, we do really well when we, we have, like, these goals, right? Like, you see someone who's who's pursuing that. Like, he's pu- they're pursuing the, the better version of themselves. And you realize, like, oh, like I can I can, I can probably do a little bit more. Like, I can... Uh, or you, you just get the validation of, like, I'm on the right path. Like, I'm not this person who's just decided to think, okay, I need to become in touch with these other things. Just because sometimes we don't see anyone around us, you know, trying to become in touch with those things. Yeah, definitely. And... Um you know, I've received a lot of messages from the people at Chill Seekers that go and um, I got one yesterday from Lucy saying that I was really inspirational at what I've done. And I just think, like, I'm not doing anything. You know, I just literally go to the beach and you know, we've all, <laughs> we all know how to breathe, right? We, we've done it from birth. <laughs> but I go there and go to a breath practice and then we just hop in an ice bath and this thing's just sort of grown itself and I don't feel like... Um, I don't. I don't feel that it's inspirational, but it is, and and that's happens a lot with us. You know, we don't realize our impact, whether how small it could be. You could be changing someone's life, um, and I feel that Chill Seekers is doing that. Yeah, that's that's wicked. Uh, you definitely, if you live in Adelaide, you should definitely go check it out. And I need to go down there, <laughs> <laughs> check it out myself. Yeah, uh, it's in where is it? Summerton. Yeah, Summerton Park. Yeah, yeah. So near the um, the surf club there. So yeah, we go down there on Fridays, and we're going to open up a Saturday morning. 
Oh, nice. Um, and then Luke's doing the event side of things. So I do the community, and, and Luke does the events. So he does, we've got a, a few body fit events coming up. Um, we run through the similar stuff that we do down the beach for like when they have eight-week challenges and stuff like that as well. Yeah, nice. That's cool. Uh, do you feel like in society nowadays, people are like really searching for those like for community? Yes. I've had this conversation uh, a little bit, you know, whether it's because uh, religion is probably you know, not as popular as it has been, and uh, you know, like I, I was brought up Catholic, and um, I went to Catholic schools, and you know, went to mass when I was at school, but we didn't do it outside of that, um, and it just wasn't something that I truly believed in. Um, not to say that you can't, like definitely, by all means, like follow your faith. Um, and it's great that you are because there's that greater good again. But I, I feel like chill seekers and those environments where we can openly express our our wins and our losses and our challenges um, and be vulnerable and, you know, get together and truly be our authentic self, um, you know, that's part of like a new religion, I guess, so to speak, if you want to use it loosely. Um and I think that that's absolutely necessary, um, especially the way that the world is. You know, we we want chill seekers to be, you know, an opportunity for people to, you know, seek love over fear and, and spread love rather than, you know, being scared of whatever's going on. You know, and whenever someone, you know, challenges your your thought process, it, it's generally based around fear of something on their part and how you choose to respond is obviously up to you and I always um, well I learned this from Luke obviously he, he sort of shared a lot of wisdom around um, you know trying to come from a place of love in, in all moments and aspects of your life rather than being scared or using fear to drive it that's beautiful man and I think there's so much truth to that like for years I saw it like I saw that I saw the parallels between uh, a, a fitness community and what people were trying to get out of that and what they people would, I guess, originally get out of a church. And uh, I think it's something that being a part of lots of different communities, it just, people will just naturally, organically uh, organize themselves in that structure over and over again. There's a lot to, I think, where people want to not necessarily be in charge, like we're all in charge of our lives and some of us have like a lot of responsibilities and people just want to go to a place where you don't have to be like you don't have to know like it's like i just came <laughs> like i'm just here and what, what are we doing do you know what I mean i think there's also like a lot for uh just places that provoke you know that that word safe space gets thrown all around a lot but there is so much to people feeling safe in a space right like to being like i can be myself and mm -hmm. i'll be i won't be judged and i'll still be loved and because i guess uh we live in a world right where um even though it's it's probably easiest to connect with the people than it's ever been because you know we have all these connection tools. It's also harder because we're spending so much time on these connection tools that we maybe don't take the time to talk to each other as much as we used to. Yeah, big time, and and that's part of why you know chill seekers is is uh, I feel like it's catching some momentum because you get that human connection where um, you know you can actually sit and talk to someone and be like authentically you and take the mask off so to speak and uh, speak your truth you know we've had some laughs we've had some tears um 
and it's an interesting um, feeling. So every now and again, we have an event where the mood is like quite somber. Um, and obviously, like for an event, you don't want that to happen very often, but it's nice and it's real when it does. You know, like I remember it being probably late November and it was in the best weather, it was quite gloomy and there was probably only around 20, 25 of us. And we just had, everyone had seemed to have this week where everyone was a little down and the energy was like really low. And it would happen, you know, it's happened probably like twice since we've had it. But it's interesting how, you know, like just like anyone's emotion, it can go up and down and, and we just allow that to happen and we don't try and force in like, hyper uh, like high vibes all the time it's just how we're all feeling and, and what comes out and um i think that's really cool and uh, obviously like 99 times out of 100 is going to be high energy it usually is like people we've got some really cool characters down there that sort of set the scene for that and and um it's it's fun but we we like to you know speak our truth and and sometimes it just comes out and we're all a bit you know a little bit lower than than the normal it's very authentic. Uh, if people wanted to get to uh, know you more or find you, Phil, how can they do so? Yep. So at Coach Philip Gerard is my personal Instagram for my coaching, and then obviously at Chill Seekers with an underscore be the Chill Seekers. Page. And that is normally on Fridays. Yes. So Friday mornings, and then we're probably going to be looking at doing a Saturday morning as well. Now that we've capped the numbers to thirty per session, just to keep it more intimate. And and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you'd be able to get tickets through the Instagram. Nice. Uh, I think we'll leave it there. I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, awesome, thanks, thanks for having this conversation. And uh, I'll definitely uh, be having you back on, brother. <laughs> thanks, bro. I appreciate it. <laughs>